The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Well, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we are going to be spending our time this morning in God's Word, uh, kind of camping out in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in a series at the moment called Rest. And this series is, is really looking at what the, what the Bible has to say about the, the, the pace of our lives, about the way that we put our lives together, about how we actually rest. And it's surprising to me, as I've been preparing for this series, just how much the Bible talks about rest and, and peace and resting in God. It's actually a major, major theme. And, and so part of the reason why we're doing this series is because, as we all know, the last couple of years have been heavy duty. The, this pandemic has, has caused a lot of anxiety, caused a lot of stress, a lot of worry to come up. And for um, a lot of people, uh, mental, mental health stuff has become a huge factor in their lives. And where we're looking at in Matthew 6 today, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really confronts worry. He confronts, he confronts stress and, and anxiety. And the reason why we want to look at this in our series on rest is because worry is the antithesis of rest. Worry is one of those things, anxiety is one of those things that regardless of whatever you're doing that day, if you've got worry in your heart, if you've got anxiety and stress in your heart, it is, it is almost impossible to find rest. A couple of years ago, I, um, had, we had a holiday, and in September holidays, I think it was in 2020, and I felt like about three days in, someone asked me, are you having a nice holiday? And I had to say, I feel like what I need is just a holiday from myself. Like, I, I, I've stopped working, I've stopped doing that stuff, I'm, I'm doing, like, leisurely things, leisurely activities, and yet I'm carrying around this worry and this anxiety in my heart. And so that's kind of what's motivating this, the, the fact that actually you can, you can take a day off, you can take a Sabbath, you can do all that stuff, but if you're carrying worry and stress inside of your heart, then actually you'll find it very, very difficult to find rest. And Jesus confronts that this morning. Jesus confronts that. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you ever been in a really stressful situation? Things are kind of falling apart, the the stress levels are rising, things aren't going your way, and in the midst of it, someone says to you, don't worry. It's not particularly helpful, is it? Like, that person might have the best intentions, but they don't really understand what's going on for you. Like, that doesn't actually help right then and there. A couple of years ago, actually a number of years ago, I was, um, I can't remember what it was. I was having a, a particularly bad day, bad week, and things were just not going great. And we were getting, um, getting some takeaway for dinner that night, and I got to the counter, and I ordered the food, and I obviously had a, a relatively grumpy disposition on my face, because the guy looked at me and he said, cheer up, mate. And I was, on the one hand, I was like, you're right. Like, I'm, I'm, if I'm that grumpy that someone, a total stranger has to say to me, cheer up, then that's obviously, I'm, I must have looked pretty down. But at the same time, I wanted to deck him and be like, you have no idea what today has happened. I can't remember what, that, what happened that day. But I remember thinking, you have no idea what today has held for me. How dare you say that? Just saying, don't worry, sometimes isn't the easiest thing to hear. It's not the most helpful. In 1988, Bobby McFerrin wrote and released the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Now, it's a nice song. It's a positive song. It's upbeat, all a cappella. I know for some of you, you're going to have that song stuck in your head for the rest of your day. I apologize for that. However, that song, especially if you look at the lyrics, it doesn't actually offer much in the way of help when we're actually going through a situation that causes us to worry. Like, with all due respect to Bobby McFerrin, he doesn't actually display any kind of understanding for what could cause us to worry. It doesn't give us a reason, hey, don't worry because of this. He just says, don't worry, be happy, as if we should go, oh, okay, that's fine. In fact, if you've got don't worry stuck in your head and you're walking down the street, you're singing don't worry, be happy to yourself, or whistling that tune, it's more likely that you're having a good day than a bad day. So what are we to do then? with Jesus' words in Matthew 6, when Jesus says three times, don't worry. Is is Jesus' message the same as Bobby McFerrin's? Is he just simply saying, hey, don't worry, it's all good, just be happy? If so, is he really offering any kind of real help to us? Well, you might guess that what Jesus does actually have to say is incredibly rich, is incredibly deep, and is far better than what Bobby McFerrin has to say. You see, Jesus comes to our situation, he comes to our problems, and with deep compassion and with perfect understanding and with wonderful gentleness, he begins to, he tells us why we shouldn't worry. He doesn't, say, doesn't just say, don't worry, he gets at what's underneath our worry. He gives us he diagnoses what's, what the problem is actually underneath our worry. He shows us why we don't have to worry anymore, and he offers us a way out of the pit of worry that we often find ourselves in. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry. 
He doesn't just say, do not worry. He says, therefore, do not worry, which means he's actually giving reasons why we should not worry. You know, if you ever read through the Bible and you come across the word therefore, we should ask, what's it there for? What's actually being said here? And that's what's going on here. Jesus says, therefore, three times. He says in verse 25, therefore, I tell you, don't worry. In verse 31, he says, so, don't worry. That's the same word, therefore, don't worry. And in verse 34, he says, therefore, don't worry. He's not just saying, don't worry, be happy, and that's all I'm saying. He's, he's telling us, don't worry, because. He's given us the reasons why not. And he says that three times. And those three statements, don't worry, therefore don't worry, those are our three points for this morning. Point number one, he gives us the essence of worry. Point number two, he gives us the basis for not worrying. And point number three, he shows us the way out of the pit of worry and anxiety. Or to put it differently, he's telling us why we worry, why we don't have to worry, and how to stop worrying. Now, before we get into it, let me just qualify what I'm about to say. Anxiety and depression and other kinds of mental illnesses, mental health issues, they are a complex matter. And I am in no way suggesting that this is actually a really simple thing that we can just kind of get over or just kind of move past. You know, we just read this passage and then everything is going to be fine. As somebody who has uh, struggled with anxiety, struggled with mental health stuff for the last three years, I know that anxiety and this kind of worry is the kind of thing that is vicious and cyclic and sometimes completely unexplainable. I know that it's not, it's not just a simple matter of reading something and going, okay, everything's totally fine. With that, and with that said, I'm a big believer in, in counselling. I'm not at all saying that you, should, you can hear this stuff and go, okay, everything's fine. If you're, if you're seeing a counsellor at the moment or you feel like you should go and see a counsellor or a psychologist or something like that, you need to know I'm in full support of that, particularly a Christian counsellor who can help us work through some of these things. There is a horrible taboo in our culture that if you go and get counselling for anything, then you are somehow weak, and I utterly reject that. Utterly reject that. This, this is a complex thing. And so I'm not under the impression that by saying this or preaching this, that this whole room's going to be totally fine afterwards. This stuff is complex. But this is, this is what Jesus has to say to us about these issues. So with that said, let's get into our text. Firstly, Jesus gives us the essence of worry. So the first time Jesus says, therefore, do not worry, it comes right at the start of our text in that first verse, in verse 25. And that means that he's just said something before this verse that gives us the basis of why we don't need to worry. And so if we want to find out why we don't need to worry, we need to go back a little bit, which is in verse 24, the very previous, very, uh, the verse right before this. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, at first glance, serving either God or money and worry and anxiety seem to be like different problems, different topics altogether. But Jesus actually links them together with this word, therefore. 
And I wonder if the, that rapper, the notorious B.I.G. or the notorious Big, I don't know how to say his name, but I wonder if he was reading Matthew 6 when he wrote, more money, more problems. That's exactly what Jesus is getting at, more money, more problems. You see, the person who serves money as their master is the person who has tried to justify their life by the accumulation of wealth. In order to feel like their life means something, that their life has value, they need to have more money. And it's not just money. We can substitute money for any number of things. If you believe that your life only means something if you have the ideal career, or more possessions, or you're married to the perfect husband or the perfect wife, Maybe it's that you, you're, you, what you feel like you need to be happy is to be more successful than your parents were, to outdo them, or to live up to their expectations, or to prove somebody wrong. Then you're going to be perfectly happy. You need that thing in order to be happy in life. And when we serve that thing, when we go to that thing, what we're doing is we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying, to, we're trying to take that into our own hands and saying, hey, I need that to justify, my, justify myself, to make my life feel like it actually counts, to actually that it's got some kind of justification doing it. And what we're doing is we are putting, we are setting our heart on that thing. We're saying, if I need that to be happy, then my heart is in that thing. We're bundling up our life, we're bundling up our existence with the gain or the possession of that particular thing, which means... That if that thing rots or, or is taken away from us, then so is our life. So is the purpose of our life. This is why Jesus said just a few moments earlier in verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when you trust in something to, to justify you, to give your life meaning, I need that thing, then that is where your heart goes as well. And that thing starts to control us. We have to start serving that thing. And that sets us up to worry because that thing can be taken away. Whether by rust or moth or thieves or a pandemic or a, a, a bad phone call. That can be taken away from us. And if our heart is set on that thing, then we are set up to worry. See, what we're doing there, when, we, when we're accumulating that stuff, when we're setting our heart on that, we're trying to control our future. Worry is the byproduct of not trusting God with our future. We're worried that God isn't going to get it quite right, that, that his plans aren't exactly as our plans are. Like, we've got these plans and God's got these plans, we want to trust God with those plans, but, you know, I just want to make sure that he gets it right. So we, we set our hearts on these other things that we think are good for us. We store up our treasures on earth and we go to those things to justify us and that causes us no end of worry and stress and concern for us. So could I ask you, what causes you to worry? What keeps you up at night? 
What is the thing that, when that thought enters your mind, that it's hard to shake, that, that causes your, your heart to start to tremor, that, that feeling of an earthquake inside of your chest? Can you trace the origins of that worry to your heart being set on something that can be taken away? Does it have roots in seeking to be justified by something other than Jesus? You see, as Christians, we are, one of the struggles that we find is that just trusting in God isn't just an automatic thing that we can just do. And if you're anything like me, you start to hedge your bets. Like you start to go, yes, God, I absolutely trust in you. I, I trust in you for my future, absolutely. But just in case you don't come through for me, God, I'm going to really make sure that I've got everything that I need kind of sorted out. Got a house, got a car, all that kind of stuff. Like I've, I'm, going to try, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I, I trust in you, God, for my happiness, absolutely. But I'm also going to just, just in case your plans are different to mine, I'm going to make sure I've got this other thing here, and that's going to, that's going to be my backup, God. And that actually is certainly, the, the, if I trace that, that's the roots of my struggles with worry and anxiety. It's when I started to believe that actually my plans are better than God's. I can't trust God for my future. What I think is good for me is actually what, I, what should be good for me. And I don't fully trust God with that. And I store up treasure. Whatever it is. Hoping that... I'm, if I have this thing, if the church is growing, if the church is healthy, if people are going, well, this is amazing, I love this church so much, the whole treasure, oh, so good. It could be taken away in an instant. I think this is why the pandemic has triggered so much anxiety and, and stress and worry for people. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that the, the, the pandemic has caused stress and worry anxiety I think it's triggered it because the things that we cherish and love and, and how we've tried to control our futures has been threatened like we all know what that we all know the fact that nobody is really actually in control of their future plans can be changed that's the essence of worry then after that Jesus then gives us the basis or the reasons why we don't have to worry. He changes the tone and he starts showing us why we don't have to worry anymore. The answer is because God actually can be trusted. We can actually trust God with our future. And he gives us two reasons, two reasons why we can trust God, why we can fully put our hope onto God for our future. The first reason is this, God cares for us. Jesus says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? It's fairly self-explanatory. His, his point is, if God takes care of the birds, he's, of course he's going to take care of you. And he follows that up. He, he sharpens that with these two critical questions. He says, aren't you worth more than they? Aren't you worth more than they? Do you know that you have worth with God? You don't have to worry because God is taking care of you, not out of obligation. Like sometimes we think that God saved us on the cross and now he's kind of like, 
he's just a bit disappointed with, with that purchase. Like if he could take us back, he would take us back because, you know, he trade us in for a better model. Trade us in for someone who, was, who just doesn't struggle with that issue. Trade us in for someone who was just a bit better at evangelism. Someone who's a bit more courageous, who was a bit, bit less of a coward. And we think that that's how God is actually thinking about us, but that's wrong. God loves you. He cares for you. His love for you has not diminished. It has not gone away. It has not disappeared. He, he has a strong love for you. In fact, Paul writes in, in Ephesians 3, he talks about the sheer massive task of comprehending the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Like, that's a fascinating statement right there. Paul prays for this Ephesian church that they would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, I, I pray that you would know something that is going to be too big for you to know. It surpasses knowledge. Like that, what he's saying is, you and I, you could spend every single second of every single minute, of every hour of the day, of the week, of the year, for the rest of your life, dwelling and meditating and soaking in the knowledge of God's love for you, and by the end of your life, you still would not have reached the bottom of God's love for you. It is limitless. It is unending. It is unconditional. He sees us in our predicament. His gaze is undeterred. He's not distracted by some other matter. You have his undivided attention. But just like the Christmas carol says, he knows our need. To weakness, he's no stranger. You can trust God because of his undivided, his unconditional and his unending love for you. Do you know that God's love for you is undivided, it's unconditional, and it is unending? We've got to know that, dwell on that, think about that. His second question, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Now, that's a really practical question, and this is something that I found very helpful just to coach myself in. See, the thing about worry is that worry wants to come along and add time and, and, and give us time to actually sort a problem out, but actually worry steals time. We, our lives are shortened by worrying. For whatever reason, my mind believes that 2 a.m., is the perfect time to start solving some problems. I just wake up often at 2 a.m. It hasn't happened for a couple of weeks, which is great. But often, 2 a.m., I'll wake up and just the, the biggest problems in my life, the biggest stresses that I've got to try and solve, uh, they, they suddenly come like a, like a torrent into my mind and my mind starts to turn it over and trying to solve stuff. And it often mixes that with a really kooky dream that I just had and it makes it feel just a whole lot worse. And I'm trying to resolve it, trying to work it out. And, and praise God that he's teaching me to, to pause in that moment and go, it's 2 a.m. I'm in bed. I can't solve this right now. I can't add a single moment to my life right now by worrying about this thing. I've got to obey God and rest. So the first reason we can trust God for our future is because he cares for us. The second reason we can trust God is because he's better than us. That's really good news. God is better than you at you, if that makes sense. 
God is better than you at you. He says, observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? That you of little faith, that stings there, doesn't it? Like if we are struggling, to, if we're worrying, it's because we're struggling to trust God with our future. It's a, it's a problem of faith. One of the reasons why we fail to trust God is because we think we can do a better job. But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if Solomon, who had access to everything, had access to the very best of his day, couldn't match the wildflowers of the field. He doesn't even say, he doesn't say the, the pruned flowers, the cultivated roses. He says the wildflowers of the field, the, the dandelions outside that are cut up, that are mown down. Solomon, in all of his splendor, couldn't match the dandelions. If God, if the creator of those dandelions, if the creator of those wildflowers can cause something beautiful and wonderful out of a weed, what kind of beauty can he cultivate out of our lives? What kind of goodness is, is God actually capable, capable of in your life, in my life, in our life, us as people who are made in the image of God? What can he do with that? Jesus is saying you can trust God because A, he cares for you, and B, he's better than you. And this is where we get the second, after this, that's when Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. A Gentile was somebody who didn't know the God of Israel, and so not knowing God, of course the Gentiles have to eagerly seek answers to those secondary questions. But as God's people, we ought to know that God knows our need. He cares about us. He cares about the things that we are facing, whatever the problems are this week that you've got coming up, which you think only you know. Actually, God knows that too. He knows our need. He is good, and he is able, and we can trust in him for our future. So just to recap, the reason why we worry is because we don't trust God with our future. And the reason why we don't have to worry is because God can be trusted with our future. And this, this is the final point, the way out of worry. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is where we get that third Therefore, do not worry. And the reasoning behind it is the command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I think the obvious question at that point is, what does the kingdom of God and his righteousness have to do with my worry? Well, it turns out, everything. See, the kingdom of God is a, is a massive theme that we will find basically on every single page of the Bible. 
It's shorthand to represent absolutely everything that God is doing in space and time in all of, his, in all of the universe to establish his, his absolute rule and his absolute sovereign authority over all of creation for his glory and for our benefit. The kingdom of God is, is a way to talk about everything that God is up to, everything that the mighty God of the universe is doing. God is king and lord over all existence. He is infinite in power and might and wisdom. God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, which means there is nothing that he doesn't know, there is nothing that he cannot do, and there is nowhere that he isn't. He is infinite in every single capacity of power and love and goodness. God is the absolute pinnacle of all existence, and we will find ourselves wonderfully, gloriously lost and enveloped in his being as we seek to know him more, as we seek to pursue him more. The more we seek after his glory, we'll be caught up in just how wonderful and spectacular and how much better he is than anything else in the world. And the reason why that helps us to deal with our anxiety or help us to escape worry is because that getting, seeking after the kingdom of God helps us to lift our gaze above what we've got going on, above our problems, to his kingdom. He's calling us to have a greater ambition, not for our kingdom, our, what, what we've got going on, our hopes and dreams, what our plans are, where we are sovereign, where we think we are sovereign. He's saying, get your eyes off that and get your eyes on the, on the, on the sovereign God of the universe and his kingdom. Now, he's not saying disregard whatever you've got going on. Ignore whatever you've got going on. He's not saying that's nothing. He's not saying that, that, yeah, that's, that's small fry, that's, that's nothing. Don't worry about that. He's not saying that. You know, one of the most unhelpful things we can ever do, if somebody comes to us and says, you know, I'm really struggling with this issue, one of the most unhelpful things we can say then in reply is, you think you've got it tough? You should walk a day in my shoes. Now, I've got to fight the temptation to say that to my kids sometimes. I'm having a stressful day, and then I get home, and they're whinging about that their Velcro isn't tight enough on their shoes. And I want to say, like, you think this is a big issue? That's not what God is saying here. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, yeah, your problems are nothing, your problems are small. He's saying, no, interpret what your problems, interpret the, your stressors, interpret the things that are causing you worry, interpret them in light of the kingdom of God. Let God's kingdom, let God frame the stuff that you're facing this week. Look at your problems through the lens of the kingdom of God. When we start to Look at whatever we've got going on. Not diminishing those things, but looking closely at them. And considering, okay, what is God up to in this moment? That will radically, the the problems that we face will take on a radically different form. Those things will, will cease to be things that can sink you. Yes, they will be difficult, absolutely, but they won't have that crushing power over you anymore. Why? Because your heart is no longer set on that thing to provide you happiness. Your heart is set on the God of the universe and his kingdom, and he will bring about his kingdom. This is why Jesus also says to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. 
The, in, our English, in, in our English Bible, that word righteousness and the word for justification, they look different. But in the original Greek, they have the exact same root form. Jesus is saying, let God be the one that justifies you. Let God be the one that, that calls you righteous. Find your righteousness not in money. Find your righteousness not in, in getting married or having the perfect, perfect marriage. Find your righteousness not in having successful kids or, or getting particular grades or getting a big, beautiful house or a big, beautiful car or the best kind of career or whatever it is. Don't find your righteousness in that because you'll be crushed by the weight of that thing. Instead, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Let, let God's righteousness be our righteousness. Let that be the thing that justifies us. So let's just consider one example of how this could play out in someone's life. Let's say that there is someone who is of the, of the belief that their career is what defines them. They believe that a good career means a good life. Don't know where they got that, that thought from. Maybe it was a parent or someone influential in their life saying that to them at some stage, like you're nothing unless you have a good career. Maybe it's that their parents had a great career, they've got to feel like they've got to outdo their parents, or maybe it's actually they, their parents didn't have a great career and they feel like they've got, to have, they've, got to do, they've got to beat their parents, they've got to do that. And they go through a number of different things, a number of different jobs, but nothing really sticks well. They get to their 30s and their 40s and, and they find themselves comparing themselves to absolutely everybody around them and they feel like a failure. They feel like their life is worth nothing and they despair of life itself because they haven't managed to find this career, this thing that they thought would define them. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they do find the perfect career and they go after it and it's actually really, really great, but it's not enough. And they've got to get a promotion or they've got to get a, a bigger office or whatever it is. And they find themselves completely unsatisfied by that. What does it look like for that person who is stuck on that roundabout to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? What if they started saying, what if my career didn't define me? What if I instead went to Jesus to get my worth and my sense of meaning in my life? What if I went to Jesus to get my purpose in life? Then I would be freed up to serve God and obey God in whatever capacity that he wanted me to do that in. It wouldn't matter what my job was or how many jobs I had had because that no longer defines me. I'm now free to enjoy the work I do because God is more important to me than anything else. Can you see how that person is now free from being ruled by that thing? that person can now rest. That person can enjoy God's rest because their job doesn't define them. They can put their head on the pillow at night and say, God's got this. It doesn't mean that their circumstances are perfect or that life is easy or that there's no such thing as a stressful day anymore. It just means that they know God's got this. God's got this. The sovereign God of the universe has got this. This is why Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. He is not at all suggesting that if we seek God's kingdom, that we'll never have a bad day again. He's saying, actually, you know, seek God first, and everything you want, the justification that you long for, that will fall into place, because only God can truly 
to satisfy us. So how are we justified? The answer is in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, we have this problem of sin and this problem is with all of us. There is not a single person who is immune from sin. There's not a single person of us who doesn't face the exact same predicament. That sin separates us from God who is holy in an infinite kind of way. That sin is what, is what causes us to long to be justified because we know that we're not right before God. And not only does our sin separate us from God, but our sin makes us holy, unjust, and guilty before God, who is the judge, and we deserve his righteous judgment. But because of God's unconditional and unending and undivided love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to absorb the punishment, that judgment on our behalf. He stood in our place and, we rece- and he received our punishment, which means that there's no longer any condemnation for anybody who is in Jesus Christ. It means that when we trust in Jesus, we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear the judgment of God because Jesus has already absorbed that on our behalf and God will not require another payment for our sin again. It was finished upon that cross. And not only that, but we are rewarded with Jesus' righteousness. We are given that which we can never find on our own, what we could never achieve on our own as a free gift of grace. And God justifies us by sending his spirit into our hearts and causing us to come alive to that message, to the message of the gospel, to say, yes, that's actually true of me. That what God says about me, that I am loved, that I am cared for, that I have worth, that I have meaning, that I have value, that is true of me because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. And by trusting in Jesus, what we're doing is we are glorifying God. And that's the point, to glorify God, to, to bring him praise, to bring him honor, to bring him glory, and to find ourselves completely enraptured, completely in love with, completely enveloped in the love of God and the glory of God, and to devote our lives to God, and for God to be the gravitational epicenter of our entire universe, for God to be our King and our Lord and our Master, for, for money to no longer be our Master, for possessions to no longer be our master, for some kind of lifestyle to no longer be our master, to not be controlled and dictated to and, and demanded from that thing, but rather for God to be our merciful king and master in our lives. And we know that God loves us, that he's got us, that he can be trusted, that he has everything under control. And that no matter what happens this week, God still, God still got this. God still loves me. God is still good. God is working all things together for my good. Then we can rest in him. We can rest in God. We can let that worry leave our hearts. Because we know that God's got this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. 
but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.